Hi, Neil Brennan here. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash the champs and uh, sign up and get a free audio audiobook download. Um, so what have I been reading? I've been reading a Dave Eggers book. Dave Eggers has a new book coming out that's supposed to be bananas. There was an excerpt in the New York Times. It's basically about a guy who works at a Facebook-like company. It's not a guy. It's actually a girl, I think. Uh, that book is called The Circle. I'm sure that's going to be a big hit book. Uh, why not get ahead of the curve? Go on audiblepodcast.com slash the champs and download uh, that book's called The Circle by Dave Eggers. Really good. I read his last book, which was something like a presentation for the king or something. That was really good. Uh, I'm also reading this book called um, High Price, I believe. This about, it's, uh, it's by this guy named Carl Hart, who uh, is a black neuroscientist and does a lot of experiments with uh, the way drugs affect the brain. And he's basically saying, like, the all of the things that politicians said in the 80s and 90s about the war on drugs and what drugs were doing to the... Uh, culture are largely bullshit and these were all the things they said it did were already happening um, and they just scapegoated drugs so that's good that's High Price by Carl Hart Dave Eggers The Circle super good go to audiblepodcast.com slash the champs uh, hook yourself in Moshe's not here but y'all know that motherfucker be reading yeah hey uh, this is, it's called The Champs by the way The Champs yeah it's called The Champs uh, the um, this is Neil Brennan. Um, hey, we've been away a long ass time, and at a certain point, you're going to have to get used to it. We go away. No, no, I don't want him to get too used to it because it, sure. I felt bad, I and felt this bad was too. extenuating circumstances where I got, sure. I got, uh, I got held over by a former champs guest, and I who could, was it? Was it Gerard? It was, was not it Gerard. Edwards? It was the great comedy legend Chris Rock. Chris Rock uh, called Neil, and he could not. I wouldn't. Call. He wouldn't let me leave, uh, and our guest will confirm that. Um, so anyway, I have, uh, I have, um, my only date that I have coming up is November 12th, 13, 14 at Helium in Portland, Oregon. Portland. Uh, again, November 12th, 13, 14, actually no, 14, 15, 16. Just go to the Helium website, Portland. Come fuck with me. Portland, you've been good to me. God bless. God bless you all. Hey, it's Mosher Kasher. I've got a bunch of different dates for you to fuck with. And um, I will start saying this very weekend in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I'll be at Dr. Grin's Comedy Club. Then I'm going on to Sacramento to the Punchline, Sacramento, California, the Punchline, uh, the weekend after. That's the weekend of the 27th of September up in Sacramento. I've had bad times there, by the way. Well, look, I kind of started there, so, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll probably be okay. Maybe not, though. It could be awful. Well, why don't you come out and make it not awful? Sacramento? Camp? Uh, you, you came out in Chicago in, in good numbers. I appreciated seeing all of you there. And, um, also Saturday, November the 2nd, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, I'll be at the high Watt in Nashville, Tennessee. Done that. It's a good uh, show. Uh, yep. They told me, talk to Neil. He'll tell you not to cancel the show. And, uh, also, I won't, I won't, I won't confirm that. <laughs> and then on the, <laughs> they don't tell me what I'm going to say or the what I'm not going to say. of November, I'll be in St. Louis. And then after that, I go to New York City. I'll be at the UCB Chelsea on November the 9th as a part of the New York Comedy Festival doing an hour. And then the weekend after that, I'll be at Caroline's with Natasha Leggero, uh, the woman who I like a lot. Are you public yet with her? Yeah, it's out. It's out. It's out. Me and Natasha Leggero, we'd be fucking. So let's start the episode. Nice. Yeah.
Now you're fucking with the champs. Yes, did you fast forward through our dates, you cocksucker? (laughs) You can't do that. Come see us live. Listen, we're back, and we're sorry it took so long for us to do an episode. We're trying to be diligent. We're going to keep trying we to be We really diligent. thought we were like junkies, where we thought, like, baby, we're going to be better now. And then we, it's just the same shit. That's right. You've been abused, but you know you love us because we got that good dick, that good podcast dick. Now, listen, it is uh, an exciting night for us. This is an exciting night. This is a guy who I knew very little, knew a little bit, had said hi to him in the past. Um, and, uh, then I work with him in the last couple of weeks with Chris Rock, uh, who he's worked with for 20 or 15 years. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most notably, probably, uh, we'll say now 10 years. <laughs> Wait, oh, you're trying to lie about your date. It's, it's, like, the, it's like Benjamin Button. Like, <laughs> the amount yeah. of years we work together gets yeah. less. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, that's what's funny is Chris is like, I've been into comedy 20 years. I go 30. And he's like, just shut the fuck up. He's like, MTV just celebrated their 30th uh, VMAs. They didn't say it. They, it's not they cool after be, a certain oh, yeah. They don't want to be old. They don't want to be known as having. Yeah, this they don't the want to be old. side of Black Don't Crack. That's what this is. That black don't crack, so people assume you're still young and That's you're right. not. Yeah, no. And they color their logo black. So. <laughs> right. Um, the uh, oh, Lance Crowther is our guest, Crowther, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Big round of applause. Uh, no best known as you no, know, yeah, they will. They you're, will you played Pootie Tang. Yeah, okay. Pootie Tang, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Pootie Tang is here. Uh, give me some sada tag or oh something. Oh God, are you going to force me? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. And this is oh, funny God. because this is exactly what Chappelle said. He quit the entire <laughs> your show because of yeah. people screaming out no, of character. No, but you want him. fucking no, no, no. some sada tag? No, no, I've done it. I've done. I'll, let me see. Uh, sada tag. Well, I can make it. One, two, three. Sarate, my damies. <laughs> if you could, to the listeners, if you could have watched the transformation mm. take place. Did I, did I transform? Where is yeah, Lance? He had a baseball cap still on here? and a big pimp hat appeared yeah, where once it was sudden, a cap. I had all kind you of gold chains. Yeah, but you, had you, my were, chest you were more known. I felt like you were more known for your shirt and your pants. Uh, it was. I think it was, you know, it was the You wore like a pirate shirt, right? Yeah, well, no, it wasn't a pirate shirt. It was, but it was like, you know, uh Sexy shirt. So it yeah, sexy fa- shirt. It was fabric-y. Fabric-y. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was Straight a fabric you know, shirt. It was like a tiger or something. Some skin. Yes. No, it was a tiger. Yeah, it was a skin. It was leopard. Silky tiger. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> were you insecure? Because you were just a comedy writer, and then you were like, you had to kind of have your shirt off. All the t- not, but it was a sheer shirt, as yeah, I recall. You know it was fabricy. If I could use it, was fabricy. Yeah, quite a phrase. It was fabricy. It was fabricy. Um, that's a good question. It, it, I started off as a performer, uh, so and I had been in a comedy group where we did a lot of crazy stuff. So I could go there, right? You know, I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, people who know me, they just go it, it, like when you know me, you go. It's impossible to that you could have ever played that guy. You don't seem like him. You right. Oh, you're so reserved and all that, and and it really is like I don't. I'm saying it's acting, but it's just like I couldn't feel less comfortable about doing it before action. <laughs> you know, before you, the moment of hey, I mean, and I had to do stuff like I mean, there's a scene in the movie that never like, was never shown where I had to wear a thong right on stage in front of a bunch of people, and I like it. First of all, it is the singular most horrible 
piece of fashion to wear on your ass. Yeah, it's not even anything. I mean, just it's the opposite of fabric. What I was gonna ask. I felt bad. Yes, the opposite of fabric. I felt bad. I felt you know, and I feel bad for women all of a sudden. I'm like, wow, you know, all these sexy models. It's like you got this piece of string. Was it uncomfortable? Because I've never worn one. Uncomfortable. Did it meaning it was not comfortable? Comfortable on your hole and your crack. It's uncomfortable. It's a take a piece of pull your shoestrings off. Hold on. Let me go grab and some. take a shoestring and right. just drag it in your ass. Oh, you're put right. It taut. That is not comfortable. And yes, you know. I feel like you, I'd get used no, to it. Saying, some people may enjoy it. Some people may feel like. Don't it, make it this it into a referendum on my sexuality. But that voice. is what women say. They say they like it better, which has always struck me. All well, women, women like to they like it better because so they because it it's no lines on their pants and their that's skirts. Right. That's right. the the only reason why they like it. Yeah. So, but it's not. Un- it's very uncomfortable, and uh, you know, it's Louis C.K. and it, I had Louis the, was the director Louis and the co writer. You know, maybe I'm jumping the gun, but Louis is a director. He created the character. Blah blah blah. And How did he pitch you the character? All right, so you were a writer for the Chris Rock show. Well, I'll give you a little more context, yeah, yeah. and it'll help. Okay, so I ex- was in a group, you know, Ali LaRoe. With Ali, who's been on the and show. Some, and, a, yeah. and another guy. And we had we came to New York in, you know, some early period in the 80s as a group. And we got into Catch a Rising Star, and that's when we, you know, we met Adam and... Sandler. Uh, yeah, Sandler and uh, Chris. Yeah. And... You know, all the people who were in catch at that time. So we got in as a group. We were pretty cool because we were three black guys doing like Monty Python kind of right. stuff. So that was really like a trip out for everybody because we're in a stand-up club, which we had already figured out how to, because we came from Chicago where improv was big, and we figured out how not to be an improv group. But how to be a written comedy? How do you do? Th- what's the in, What's the secret? One of the secrets is the assumption is you're on a stage that's very small. There's no space. You go. We don't need to work on the stage all the time. We would right. come out of the audience. We would be playing in the at the tables. You know, we just made like the room. We we suddenly realized it's like that. You know, the old parable about how do you get the truck under the tunnel. And the little girl thinks to take the air out of the tires. So we had that for a while. Like, how do we get all of us on a tiny ass stand up stage? And then we realized, oh, why are we on the stage? Yeah, just get off the stage. Yeah. We, we can be, we got mics. We can right. do whatever. That freed us. We were able, and it made us cool because we came from all different places in the room. We were on stage, off stage. How many spots a week were you getting a catch? We were getting, we, would, we did well enough when we, we got to a point we did well enough that. They, I mean, we were getting, you know, I'd say maybe a couple spots a week, two or three, for somebody to come out of from Chicago and to be this group. We got to a point where Rick, um, what was the guy that, that was something? Rick, whatever. So he was sponsoring us. They were at a time, Kid Creole and the Coconuts were hot, so we opened for them, and they were grooming us to be seen by Lauren Michaels. And then what always happens with groups is. It's like, He's like, I take one black guy only at a time. You no, know, so. it's not that. It, no, it's just groups. The, a group dynamic, the problem is everybody has a different ambition, and they all go off in north, south, east, west. So the compass is all different for everybody, and uh, the timetable is different. Some people are like, I need to have it happen. Now others are like, I can wait 18 months. You know, right. so, so a group dynamic is very hard to maintain. That's why I love Wu-Tang, not to throw that in. Uh, I have to mention Tang in every interview. Got so, to. So, uh, so we, so we were there, and we'd established ourselves, and everybody knew us as this group. 
Chris included. Wu Tang is a group that barely survived, though. That's right. And <laughs> I mean, no, no, no. It's like they weren't. They were rarely they a, together. A, Drake just did a song about. <laughs> I, and so okay. what? No, they were a great group. I mean, I think what Neil they, they, like they barely, they were like barely no. survived. Meaning, like they barely, no. like in terms of things happening they, in the right. You're saying Wu Tang is a terrible hip hop group. I mean, I think I'm not saying every, they're not and every, great. And every other solo album, them live is a is a hard thing to pull. The Wu Tang as like as an entity, it's a hard. It's not. Neil, Easy to be in Wu Tang. I don't want to fight you on. I think because, <laughs> because Wu Tang is almost like a religion. Like, <laughs> Neil's like, just saying that Wu Tang Clan is something to fuck with. That's yeah, yeah, all yeah. that he's you, trying you, to you, say. Yes, that's a, that's a dangerous. And that's like me being in a tea party, and I have to have uh, the defunding of Obama. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't just say Wu Tang. I like know, it. He wasn't even saying anything negative about Wu Tang, but you love Wu Tang so much, much you couldn't you even don't hear. even start. I, I, no, don't I even start. Nothing. Yeah, that, but 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 what I wanted, what I brought up Wu Tang is that. It always because because ever since I've been in a group, group dynamics fascinate me, and I, it always amazed. I mean, not just I'm the same way. In that comedy team, fascinate it, me. Well, it, it, all group dynamics fascinate me. If you t- and if we, if we stick with rap or hip hop, so uh, Public Enemy. You know, you got this guy who is this you know this black uh, black power guy. Yeah, type, yeah, it is true, you know, right? right? And then, uh, and his best friend, the other guy in the group, is a jester. Is a jester, <laughs> right? Now, well, the, you know how that but, happened, but, though. But, but even I, to not, I don't want to know for a second because well, what? <laughs> let, let, let me know in a second. But what I love about it is the range of it. It it's exp- it explodes in my brain. It's wow. It's so incredible that Chuck D would be on stage with this guy. Right, a, right. That they even know each well, other. No, course, how they even meet. Like how did that, that he's constantly going against everything you stand for yeah. by virtue of existing in the right, group. Right. It's so true. And yet they go past that and, and somehow for that period of time, uh, flavor you almost feel is Malcolm X. Right. You feel he's almost kind of Malcolm only because he's standing next to Chuck D. But I just love that. What a beautiful... That's the thing about group dynamics. I'm sorry. That's the group thing about uh, group dynamics is when you put together these these elements that don't go together. That is the thing I love. Mark's bro- I just love that. And so Wu-Tang is that... Terrible group. You agree it, with it, me there. It's, ha- it's, G- it's Jizza, Method Man, OD. How are these people all in the same group? Right. Yeah. How dare they all get on a stage? How dare they ever even think that they could all get on a tr- in a car? At some point, they got in a car and went to a gig. I bet the amount of <laughs> times they've actually all in been car. in the... From what I've heard, they're never together. It's a nightmare to get them together. Invariably, one of them won't show up. Like it's a constant juggling. Neil, you're act. talking to the wrong person. <laughs> you are indeed, and it's disrespectful. I've, I've I, I once had a you know had a sitcom on Fox. I had I had uh, Method Man did the, the theme song. Uh, Mathematics was the musical director of our show. It was a Fox show. We had uh, RZA what play uh, Wanda at large. We, yeah, we had RZA play a, a Republican hip hop artist. Uh, so basically, I've been on stage with Wu Tang twice. Your whole career when they performed I, when they House of Blues. I've been on stage with them. No, so basically, your whole career has just been an elaborate ruse to get closer <laughs> to Wu Tang. To get near the Wu Tang. <laughs> the first Wu Tang person I met was ODB. He recorded an album upstairs from where we were downstairs. Chris was recording his album. We were doing a comedy album. ODB comes down, does that album. Chris goes upstairs, does his album. 
So it's like I've met all of them. I'm cool with all of them. I have a tough question for you. Who is your favorite member of Wu Tang Clan? Uh, my favorite performer. It's it always it's it's I like altered. that he's already got categories. Right, it's altered. He's right. It's altered. But what I would say is Jizza. I've loved from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Ghostface is to me just wonderful. I just think Ghostface is fantastic. Uh, I think uh, Raekwon, you know. You're naming his, all of the people in Utah. Well, I'm just, I like. I mean, uh, I'm, if I name three, that's like naming one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving out like 19 people. Right, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You've, he's only scratched like 10% Mine of them. Mine is definitely Remedy. But, but, you know. The Jewish one uh, <laughs> who never did anything. But, but there was a Jewish guy that in was, I think his name was Remedy. All, all Jews know all Jewish rappers' names. And by, by the way, way, he was he and he has like a great song in, in the Wu-Tang Oh, camp. the Killer Bees? Uh, in the killer B can that's right. So, uh, but but to come back around to the you know bring it back to where we started. So uh, yeah, so I'm fascinated with group dynamics, and you know because of the fact I was in a group, and I've always liked Python, March, but I've always liked groups. Once this thing kind of you know went its separate ways, I was a stand up in New York, and I couldn't get. Booked. So you stayed in New York. I stayed in New York. Where did Ali go? Ali left. He eventually. Came back, obviously, but uh, he didn't come back to New York. But he stayed. He stopped we, doing we comedy. Can't, no, we can't. We were in the Midwest, so we came from the Midwest and basically established this beachhead, this whatever, yeah. in on the East Coast. Uh, and it looked like it was going to go well. Then it went south. Went south. So we we we, we separated. Per- interpersonally, it went south. You just stopped getting along as well. Ali and and another guy, another guy, continued under the moniker of the group. I was in New York doing stand-up, uh, and it was difficult because no one would book me because they said, well, where's Mary Wong? Where's the group you were in? Right. And it's like, well, I'm not in that group. So I couldn't get booked. I, and you, I don't know if you know these guys named Mac and Zach. Nope. Never heard of them. Mac and Zach were like uh, two tons of fun. They were like enormous guys. There were two black guys from St. Louis. One was 350. He was the small one. The other guy was 400, and when they would go on stage, the smaller 350 guy would stand behind the bigger guy, Zach, the 400 guy, and you couldn't see him. <laughs> that was their first joke. They would also go on stage and, and check to make sure the stage was secure so they wouldn't That's fall through the floor. They were the fat boys of comedy. They, yeah. they, but older Contemporaries guy, of the older, fat boys, probably. Older guys from St. Louis, they knew everybody. They knew Whoopi. They knew uh, Sinbad. They, they uh, Everybody that was a respectable comedian uh, – before you know Whoopi's era and up and down to Joe Torre and those guys, right. people, you know Cedric the Entertainer, all those people, they knew Mac and Zach and had humongous respect for them. Uh, they both died of massive heart attacks. How did that happen? Uh, uh, yeah, and it's terrible, really. That was their closer, right? Well, they, yeah, <laughs> they would die of well, a massive heart attack. <laughs> Zach died driving into. <laughs> Zach, I'm just no, impressed no, with that one. That was a good one. Zach drove it. They drove a car into Manhattan. I, I think Zach had a massive heart attack on the way to the improv in New York. And he fell over, and the a smaller guy was there, and no, he fell and over. The, and, and the smaller guy. He landed Matt on the other was little now guy. solo. And so a year later, almost to the day, he passed away. He died of a, a broken attack. heart. By the way, the first <laughs> guy. And high cholesterol. The guy that died second had been <laughs> diagnosed with the the bigger problem was supposed to die first. So right. they worried about him and the other I guy. I mean, the di- it's not like that's bad medicine. He still died pretty quickly. And, and, it's just and, not as- and we're laughing, but I say this because these are two of the finest guys that were in comedy. Because, you know, comedy is this world where, you know, it's very competitive. And a lot right. of people will not help people out. 
And these guys were booked. They, they were a huge act. People loved them. They did great in clubs. The club owners loved them. And when I couldn't get booked, they made calls. They said, You can stand behind book us. Him. What year is this? Um, uh, it's mid 80s. Right. So they go, Book him or don't book us. Now, you think about any comedian yeah, that's on bold planet Earth yeah. who's yeah. ever done that. Yeah. They go, he, yeah, they understood. They got it. They said well, they loved the group I was in. They understood the situation. And they were like, you guys are funny. You're funny. This is wrong. They should, be, they should give you, you know, a spot. That's how I got to be a stand-up comedian because of these guys, Mac and Zach. So they, they, were, they were really great guys. And there's a lot of people in, you know, in the industry from that era who know them. And, you know, pay a lot of homage to them. Well, they, they haven't mentioned them, but th- these guys should be mentioned. And they weren't just like the, you know, they weren't the fat guys. They Like that joke is there, it's obvious, but their comedy was like they got off of that. You know how somebody yeah. comes out and we always go, if the guy's the big guy and he says, oh, can you see me behind this mic? And right away you go, okay, yeah, know where this is going, right? The cliche thing. These guys, they did the cli- they did that one or two things but then their, their act to clear the air for their act yeah social and it was right. cool and it was like a cool dynamic so yeah that, so that that that's so i'm a stand-up comedian in new york but i'm used to having been in sketch comedy and i go through that and the thing about chris is like years later when he has the tv show he's like we've been friends so you years. were you knew chris in the 80s you knew joiner you knew yes all those guys. Jerry Seinfeld. I didn't Otega. know Jerry, but I knew Joyner. I knew Chris. I knew uh, Colin. Yeah. You know, everybody that was in Catch around that time, you know. Uh, and then later on, I was a regular at um, the uh, the Strip. Was Catch kind of the only game in town back no, then? The Strip was really – because Eddie, you know, had come through the Strip. So th- that gave us some yeah, notoriety. Yeah, Cache, yeah. And Eddie's managers, uh, Richie Tankin yeah, they owned and Bob Walk, they, they, they owned that. And Eddie was hot at the time. so it was They're good still to- mad about it, by the they, way. They, they, about him leaving? About Eddie. As of like six months ago, they were still mad that Eddie isn't with them anymore. I Although he gave them that. millions of dollars. He made yeah. them millions of dollars. So, so the strip was like, Eddie Murphy was here, so a lot of people would float through the strip yeah. because they expected to see Eddie. And so that was a cool place to be. And Adam, you know, worked Same like, yeah, yeah, used to... To kill that, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so you were so you were just a, so then you were just a solo comic I in the eighties. Solo com- comic in the eighties, and I spent for how long? Know, five, six years? Yeah, probably at least seven, maybe even wow. eight. Because because there was a, there was a overlap because I was doing stand up even when I was in the group, you know, and even before. So we all all performed as stand up. Right. So we weren't incapable of it. Um, did yeah. you feel lost without the group at any point? No, it, it, I felt anger. You know, it was, I mean, it was real. A, it's an acrimonious, bitter kind of a thing. Yeah. What was the? Can you get into what it was? Yeah, I don't think there's any. I mean, it's it's just a dynamic. It, it's at the time I was, you know, single and you know, in young and super crazy ambitious, and I'm I was like, let's do it all. And the other guys were. I don't know if Ali was. I don't think Ali was married, but one of the guys in the group was married, and so he had a family. And he was he had that push pull yeah. of being away from the family, and that that created a you know, it just creates a dynamic where some people you know I'm like let's go and it's like well let's hold up for a second because I yeah. need to go back and check on my kid. What I and I say that only make that point because I have family now, and you know it's like years later I go wow what a reversal, right? Because I understand that guy's 
position at the time, but at the time it was utterly unreasonable to me. Right. And so I behaved utterly unreasonably to him as a, as my reaction to that was, you gotta be, you're kidding me. Right. Right. Lauren Michaels is interested in, you know, it's that kind of conversation and you go, come on, man. Yeah. How many times, you know, you, you pull this drama thing and at the time it's like, you just believe, you know, when you're young, like this is all that matters is being in comedy and being on television and yeah. doing movies. And uh, that's 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 20 years old. So I completely feel like I was a difficult person to be with. And that that is there's that tension. But the other part of it is you write a lot of stuff and it's like, hey, what are you guys going to do? You know, because I contributed a lot of that stuff. So we, we, we figured out a way where I oh, just took, they, they, well, you I took just, some bits and then yeah, they, Well, I said, I'm these, I'm going to, I'm taking these It's like a custody me. battle. Yeah, but, it was, but fortunately, they, you know, we were pretty cool about that. It was like, hey, we agree. Yeah, that, we'll do that. You can do that. And I took a lot of stuff that I did as a sketch and turned it into stand-up. Stand-up, and that was fun. It was fun because it also opened up. Didn't the you door do a bit where me. you would change outfits? No, I never. I didn't do that kind Why of stuff. Why do I feel like were I you did on a comic bit, justice? A, a fabric shirt? No, but I did didn't. Do you a, do comic justice and you took a jacket off and you went? You were like a gangster, and then am I crazy? No, I just. But I did do comic justice. I did some bit about like you know women brushing up up, up against you with their breasts, you know, and uh, if I can remember, yeah, like. You're in a club, and if a woman wants to get your attention, you know, they brush up against you, and it's like really startling when, if you've ever had that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's harder for women who have small breasts, and then I would be flying all across the stage. Oh, that's funny. You know, but that, but it was something like that. It wasn't, yeah. I, didn't I must say, I think I've got you mistaken with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I never did any clothes change. I mean, I was like a, you know, microphone. And we, you were with, we were in New York with Chris, and I, I mentioned, I, I think it was, telling them some story and one portion of the story was I had this long coat on and I would never take it off on stuff. Oh, that was hilarious. All right. So <laughs> so he said something. Oh, we were talking about this gay comic who we can't get yeah, into, yeah, but he's tried to fuck everybody. He's tried to fuck me. Turned out he had tried to fuck him. Yeah, let's he had tried to <laughs> fuck Chris and Chris was literally like do you have to suck dick to be in comedy? <laughs> and then, so Ali's telling the story, I'm sorry, Lance is telling the story about going to this guy's, <laughs> staying at his house. Yeah. Tell this, and he's like, and I had this my coat on, and it was like, I just wouldn't take the coat off. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, but, but, the, but the point is, I never took the coat off. Though. He never, I mean, he, just for a couple stage, years. I would just go on. Or just in case he would come on. No, 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 no. It had no, nothing no. to do with it. And <laughs> Rob made the that. observation that, like, we're all comics. So we go, like, yeah, a couple years you didn't take your coat <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the point was, that, well, what, we, what we would do, and that's what I loved. It was just that thing of, you know, I don't know if you know Dwayne Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he was out in New York. He's from Chicago. We were friends, you know, going back before that. So we would be out in New York together. And we always had these little notions like, hey, man, let's just do the whole act under a piano. <laughs> let's just, you know, let's just get under the piano and right. do the and do your set. And we just get under a piano and do the set. <laughs> and let's, how would it work? With, let's go on. You know, I mean, like we're challenging each other. Yeah. yeah you know, I'm, I'm going to do the set tonight and I'm just going to. I'm going to stand in the corner and look out the window the whole time. There was a dude <laughs> in San Francisco who had the idea. What he would do is, this guy Alex Cole, a friend of mine, he, what he would do is he would scrunch up like a fetus, uh, fetal position under the table that you put your drinks on at the punchline <laughs> in San Francisco. It's very small. Right, right. And so he was in there for the whole 
showcase, well, he, he was going on like 16th, <laughs> and he came out and was like, he had vomited in the, I guess being in the fetal position for that long is not good for you. He had puked <laughs> under the table. He All for this one second where he goes like, I'm under the table, and then he just like couldn't even perform. It was, and everybody's like, well, all right, I guess don't do that. He waited under the table the whole show? The whole show. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Well, I can tell you the, the reason why we did it, th- those kind of things, what, what they were good for is it just made you, it, it just made the stage, you owned it. You just, yeah. it was just like a thing right. of, so you realize I can, I can do whatever the hell I want to do on a stage and the audience, I'll never lose them because you just learn, you got some power you're emanating and you have just like, I got you, I'm talking, you know, some people like, I got to talk fast, I got to yeah. feel the space and then you start to realize, I don't have to talk fast, I don't have to feel the space. You can come on and just look at the audience for about, you know, 30 seconds. And then they, there's a tension, you know, you start to feel it and play with it and ride it. Yeah. So that was the joy of it. And we were, again, young enough and we didn't have any, you know, there was no economic pressure to do anything right. other than try. Yeah. Well, that's what's funny is like now I, I we used to all have fun on stage when we would start. We'd do all this great put on a mask and see if you could put, do put, and now it's like, I would never do any of that fun stuff anymore. Right. And, but the thing is, yeah, ultimately you go, well, a mask or whatever. I mean, you know, you, you obviously a lot of these things are hacky or corny or lame or whatever, but, but there's a point about it. And that point is about exploration, right? Creativity, finding out, you know, that's when you, you can find out something about yourself as a comedian that's unique to you. Cause you went that far and you explored. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like human development. It's not just stage, but I think stage is a perfect example because it's so visual it's like sex is like that you know you get with a girl for the first time you don't know what you're doing you're fumbling around touching her and uh, how do i do it you stick your tongue what do i do and then eventually you hook up with enough girls you go oh this is what i fuck like i fuck like this you know like but now but but that's not a joke that's funny how you say that hey you you figure out you got a move you got some moves you find out some things you find out you know what why was always uptight about girls in general Right, you know, totally. some of them I got on great with, and we were cool. So some of those I was sweating it out. They were maybe just jerks, you know. Right. I sh- I never conceived that women could be assholes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah no, it's like that be. fantasy game you play with yourself of going back in time and telling your young self, like, "Well, this is how you this is how you talk to women. Be nice <laughs> right. and approach them. If right. You think they're attractive. Let them. You know what I mean? Like yeah, because you, all women are perfect and wonderful. Yeah. When you're that and, young, and, they're, and, they're yeah, a, and, a, a and mystery to be solved. If, if you're terrible sexually, it's all your fault. Right. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe it wasn't. Right. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. That's Maybe they a great, just fuck no, like that an asshole. No, that is a great. That's like when it, it's like when people say, "Are you good in bed?" It's like sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's right. basic. Is do I match well with you? Then yeah, I'm good in bed. <laughs> if not, I'm not. I'm not always good. Sometimes and it's free. <laughs> yeah, where you just go. This is. It's like I have a fucking game. I have a style. That doesn't work in every system. And it's you like could definitely t- sometimes you can't tell during, and sometimes you really can tell. Like this is not this is not going well for either of us. Oh, right absolutely, now. this is not happening. Yeah, or 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 <laughs> one of those girls is like, oh, I can't have orgasms from oral. It's like, okay, well, you just put me through twenty minutes of like real hardship. <laughs> I would like to have heard that about. Yeah, like I maybe you could tell me that up ago. front because I really just went. I left it all on the floor. See, because I uh, for me. I do that for me. Oh, is That's that right? Why I do yeah. that. Um, I, one of those things you learned. Yeah. <laughs> as you made yeah. your moves, you figured. Uh, out. You were so you stayed in New York the whole I time. In New York, uh, and then when did you and Ali I get back? No, no, I stayed in New York, uh, and then I got. So by the end of the, uh, by around the time the '90s started, 
I was headlining. So, you know, so I was in that world. And basically, I, I became a writer. And it, I, it, long story short, there was a guy, Daryl Savad, who was the first guy to do a show with uh, Castle Rock. They did a sitcom on ABC called Homeroom or something like that. Daryl was the guy that he'd gone on The Tonight Show with Carson and killed and had one of these sets where black Carson, dude, white dude, black dude, one of these guys where Carson gave him the the, the you thumbs know, the up, okay, yeah. And the next day, that you know that era, yeah. when, The next day they give him a TV series, oh, yeah. yeah. That era, that's an era, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. A, now long that, again, that gets overstated because as Bill Maher pointed out, like he did the Tonight Show twenty times before anybody gave a fuck, right? So like, no, but there are people, but there are people that would do it once and that was one enough. Show yeah. And Johnny Carson said something. Positive Positive, and the next day, the deals were being cut. That was an error. That happens. The only time it happens now is for black comics. They get writing jobs from it. Happened to Hannibal Burris. Happened to Michael great. Che. You know, the modern day equivalent. And happened to the Lucas Brothers. The modern day equivalent of that, actually, I would say, is probably you make a viral video, comedy video that gets a million hits, and then all of a sudden people go, "Well, okay," and then they see it doesn't happen in the same way. I think way. even more clearly, the roasts. The roasts do they do definitely help, but I think that's gone that's gone away as well. But I don't think it's I don't think it's the same because we're talking about a guy who had the power to basically anoint you yeah, versus right. that's I mean true. that's yeah. democratic yeah. that a million right. people like something you know that should be some somebody that gets a job or gets a TV right. show. But this was a guy who just went I like you, therefore you're in show. It's like you just went through a door. You're in show business. But the point is. He, uh, around that time, he and several other people had seen me perform, and they just said, "You know, I like what you do. Could you write me some jokes?" And it never occurred to me at, at that until that moment. Well, I had written sketches and stuff, right. so I was used to writing and other people performing stuff that I'd written. But uh, it hadn't occurred to me. Oh, write some jokes for somebody else. Well, he's on TV, so I'm trying to, you know, develop a, a relationship. You know, sorry about that. Uh, so I wrote him some jokes, and I started writing other people jokes. And what I discovered is, hey, he just told a joke. It got a laugh. It felt exactly the same as if I told the joke. Oh, that's fascinating. Right. Suddenly, I'm a joke writer for comedians. Right. And little by little, you know, different people will say, hey, Do this you... guy's writing jokes, and that's why I wrote jokes for people. All right, I have a question. And you didn't find it insulting to your performing ability? No. Uh, okay. Again, it did not at all. What, when someone says, when you get off stage and someone goes, you're a good writer, you go, well, what are you saying about my performance? Because you should say you're a fucking great comic. Well, But I, instead, you're like parsing out like, you're writing. Well, I was talking about that this weekend, that human beings, and maybe it's newer, maybe it's this era, but human beings have this inability to compliment without somehow also criticizing like you are my favorite female comedian or you were my favorite comic tonight right, or right, you right. were bet you were the best you're better than why are you last even guy. wanting yeah. to say i liked you right. yeah right i saw you know so and so last week and you were better than him i don't need any of the, i just oh I'm, no the worst was my mother because <laughs> it would be a show and if she saw a show she'd go son who was that guy that was on right before you I said, oh, that was Rick somebody. Oh, my God. He was hilarious. Yeah. And now immediately and after who you. was the guy? <laughs> yeah. He came on just after you stepped uh. off the stage. Oh, Johnny. Oh, that guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was going, is that the end? <laughs> yeah. Said, that just sounds like your mom fucking with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, th- no, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like that because also at the same time, 
I started acting in movies. So, like, in the early 90s, I did, like, three or four movies. Well, I mean, including, I think, like, Chris had a movie. CB4? Uh, CB4. So I, so I actually also shifted, because I went to L.A. at that point. So there was kind of a shift of, well, now I'm going to be an actor. I'm not going to worry about doing stand-up so much, and, I'll, you know, and I'm writing jokes for other people. Uh, but as that decade went, uh, went along, me and Ali sort of, you know, it's like I ran into him someplace I don't remember, and we started saying, hey, let's write some movie scripts together. You know, we, we realized that we enjoyed working together from before, right. and we missed it, so we just started working together. Uh, and we wrote a bunch of spec scripts, and we wrote a bunch of TV spec scripts. And basically, at the end of the day, we got a, a, an agent, and then later on, we got a couple of jobs. And then Chris was always—I was always—you know—in contact with and having a relationship with Chris anyway, and Ali a little bit too. And Chris, all of a sudden, one day, he calls up and says, "Hey, I'm doing the show, and I want you guys to write on it." Meaning me and Ali. Yeah. So you know, we end up writing on that show, the Chris Rock show. Yes. Um and did and you were there from the pilot. No, I from guess the there was no pilot. They just got yeah, picked we, up. Yeah, and, we did the pilot. We uh, at, at one point, me and Ali, because we had performed so much, and we were performers, and they needed you know sketch performers. Yeah. Before they before the show ever aired, we had a regular segment in the show. Me and Ali. I mean, because Chris knew the thing, right. The thing about the thing is HBO didn't know us, and Chris was in this position of okay, he had to, he hired a certain number of people that HBO was aware of. We were off the radar because we were doing, you know, more black stuff. We right. were on Comedy Central. We were doing, you know, things that they weren't uh, totally aware of. Chris was. So Chris was like, and these two guys. It's like this, 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 and right. these two guys. It was basically a bunch of writers from Conan and, and these you two guys. guys. Yeah, it was and like go, Chuck Sklar, Louis C.K., yeah, exactly. Tom Agna. And they go, okay, well, okay, we're good with that. But these, And Chris goes, I'm saying, and these two guys. And, and Wanda, right? In, no, before Wanda. Got Wanda it. was supposed to be part of that crew. Chris did a show uh, in New York, and he said, get the girl up open for me. Well, two women opened for Chris on different <laughs> nights. One of them was uh, this woman. Well, I won't say her name, but was a comedian, and the other one was Wanda, and they just got the other woman. Oh, and hilarious. she shows up. And Chris, you know, it's like, what do you do? He's yeah. fine. She, I mean, it's not like she was awful when she right. opened up for me. So let's have her. Man, that is lucky. Hey, well, here's yeah. the thing. And this is why I'm not saying the name of this woman. Uh, is she had a super rough time. Because it was just that thing where, you know, Chuck Sklar came like the second day. So he wasn't there the first day. And Chris has his table. One of my favorite people to ever run a room. And Rock? Rock. And he's at the end of the table. And Chuck, I just met him. And it's like, hey. And he's like, yeah, I just got in town. I'm from Chicago. We're from Chicago. Oh, cool. And we're chit-chatting. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's the first day I just got off the plane. I mean, I'm, I'll get settled in and figure out what's going on. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll catch up to you guys. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And Chris goes, as soon as the meeting starts, Chuck, what you got? <laughs> <laughs> I fell out of my chair. Yeah. Chuck was like. <laughs> yeah, and Chris would do that. He would always like. I we would wait then afterwards when anybody knew ever came. On. Yeah, because they always would walk in thinking, "Oh, I'm gonna kind of like yeah, that ease my way in. Days, I'll slide yeah. in. I'll be in the corner. No one will notice." And Chris would let people get way up in the corner and kind of <laughs> be hiding. And he go, Halston, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, he would always do it, and you would just see the face drop. Yeah, so it was. Uh, it was so yeah, we got we we got hired on the show, and what we did is me and Ali just wrote a hundred sketches a day. I mean, it was like crazy. 
to the point that HBO was like, what the hell? Are, who are these people? When we just the two of you, the two you're of saying, us, not the good group. sketches, we usable just, sketches, we just, just, wrote, just we good, just mediocre, we, we will, some great, no, some fine, some, some incredibly great, I think, and some, you know, of course, yeah. In a, in a, you, you're writing that much stuff, a lot yeah. of crap. But what was so great for it did two things. One, it 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 made Chris's, it validated Chris. Yeah. Oh wow. Two, they had a lot of stuff to choose from. Right. Which was great, and and it really it really elevated me and Ali, and and it just it it, it was a great from from that point forward. It was just like we were well regarded, and then they because we had performed in sketches, and Chris knew it, and we'd even you know years before we'd open for Chris as a group, you know, in in a in a later incarnation of our group. Uh, so we were performing and everything. This was before the show ever got on, but uh, yeah, we we. We the and that by the way that whole group of writers was it's in retrospect when I think back and I know where everybody is kind of in the in the comedy and film and TV universe uh, I, I I go wow it's amazing that we were in that all in the same room yeah. yeah yeah it really is kind of it's, it's special when you, and I see anybody that I ever see from that I just always feel warmth towards them right and, uh, was I did Vernon right for it then. Vernon was part. Vernon, Vernon came maybe two years in. Vernon he created Wonder him. Shows and and writes for South Park. It's fucking yeah, hilarious. Wonderful, dude. wonderful. I mean, yeah. there, 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 there's like one or two people who came through, uh, who had a hard time. Uh, but but by and large, everybody who worked on it, you know, was great and it was fun. And and Chris sort of set a standard that it was hard for for other people when you worked for him to to, to follow because he was a guy who loves comedy. Who has a great respect for writers, who had experienced SNL. Uh, he'd been, you know, in movies, and you know, he'd done his own stuff. And he had he he had suffered some, you know, pretty tr- you know lows as far as his career, and you know, the the real potential of maybe I'm on my way out, right? Kind of stuff, yeah. And he had, was done. And had, I always say he was done. And had rebounded with one of the greatest, the greatest standards. Yeah. You know, performances ever, you know, and and continue from that point forward. And by the way, uh, uh, another fact about Chris, which I think is always important to to note, is that black comedy coming up through the 80s was very sort of middle of the road and clean and and sort of leaning towards Cosby, which was nothing wrong with that at all. And in fact, I would have probably been part of or, you know, within that kind of climate of comedy. And then, you know, uh, uh, and Living Color. Before Living Color, uh, before the, the first thing was the show in New York, you know, where everybody gets chased off. Apollo. The Apollo. The Apollo came on and, and, you, and audiences fell in love with the idea that you could yell at the comedian and throw him off. And people wanted to have that so there was the Apollo and then Def Jam and Def Jam changed the black comedy world yeah. because there were a lot of comedians who could not get exposure on television that got exposure on uh, Def Jam can I ask a clarifying question mm-hmm. what about prior would you say he just wasn't in the black comedy world per se or no what? no because well, he was talking about dirty and right but he was done well, by but 80 you, but you, have, but you oh then it changed you're saying no, after no you have to understand there's a difference I mean First of all, Richard Pryor, that's a, Richard Pryor is fantastic and a wonderful, and you know, the king of the hill. I mean, one of the greatest stand-up comedians ever. Uh, now, 
Richard Pryor, yeah, if you're Eddie Murphy. I mean, it's not so much the people, it's not the language per se, but a lot of comedy, once it got on television, you know, you had uh, Evening at the Improv and that kind of stuff. It wasn't cable yet. It wasn't mm-hmm. like HBO cable. It was regular cable, so it wasn't a lot of cursing and stuff. And there were a lot of comedians who were more like Franklin Ajay, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be witty. And, and there's a lot of black comedians who wanted to be witty. But what I'm saying is that those comedians tended to be in the comedy clubs in the 80s. Martin Lawrence and those guys had to fit in and felt constrained. When, they got, when Def Jam came out, and that was such a huge hit, it was like a flood of those kinds of comedians who were very blue and it was all about fucking and, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. We call them uh, stool humpers. Yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> so the stool humpers come out. And, and by the way, the, the hacks you are the stool humpers. The geniuses are within the stool humpers. Right. Yeah, so I agree. The, the geniuses are the, the first incarnation of Def Jam. I always get resentful when people call something Def Jam in a negative way. I'm like, some of the greatest performances in stand-up history are on that show. But, but you can say that about anything. Really, I mean, they're talking about comic view. You talk about the 80s comedians or whatever. Any, anything you right. talk about, it, the, the, the For every Jerry Seinfeld, out of there's is, a cruise ship you, comedian. You can talk about the environment right. as a thing, but the actual, but whoever's going to be great, no matter what the era, they just come through that era and their, their, their greatness will, will shine. But what I mean is that at that point in black comedy, once Def Jam was hugely popular, it bifurcated black comics. You you were either a guy who could go on and do the, you either were a stool humper or you weren't going to get booked. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, and that fucked up a lot of, you know, so a lot of, so it flipped. So now you had a lot of black comics who could not go on and talk about politics and social, it all had to be about fucking, Right. Along comes Chris Rock, and he changed it beautifully to this day. It hasn't gone back. Chris Rock was able to come out at that moment in time and do that show and reintroduce, because he always did politics and social commentary, reintroduce that for black comics. You watch, you know, in the wake of that, the guys who, many guys who had come through uh, Def Jam, who had the Def Jam imprimatur, Started bringing in a little social commentary, right. you know, um, um, Eddie uh, um, Griffin. Eddie Griffin. Yeah, suddenly I see Eddie throwing in some reference to uh, Clinton, you know, and I'm like, yeah. okay. And it, and it's and it's been like that ever since. And Chris, I always said Chris straddled that fence, man. He That's brought, yeah. he allowed that to. And it doesn't. It didn't mean it got rid of the other thing, but it just okay. Now there wasn't this war anymore, and I think it made comedy better. And a guy like Dave Chappelle, I don't think. Would have been. Let the record show that he said it before I did. That is uh, impressive. That no, may be the first impressive. time. No, no. In the but all I mean show. by yeah. it is, Dave Chappelle is fantastic. But I think that environment, that environment needed to be. He did a controlled burn of black comedy so that Dave Chappelle could grow. In he that just forest. allowed. He allowed it to be open again. Well, that's yeah. fascinating that you say that because when I, I don't know if you know this story, maybe you do. When uh, Rock was on our podcast, he we, we, t- we told the story of at one of his lows. Uh, he was ha- doing a show, and Martin Lawrence oh, I know was the opening Martin for him. So that's yeah. sort of fascinating that you know he comes from that era that you're talking about, and then watches the. It King was of, weird. Of I Def remember Jam. it was a weird thing where Chris hosted a Def Jam before Bring the Pain, right. and it was kind of like, is this a good fit? I remember watching it, going like, I don't. Rock hosted it, and he said it was he hosted, and he said coming up next is Shucky Ducky. Let's hope he has some jokey wokies. 
Uh, <laughs> that was his intro for Shucky Ducky, uh-huh. which is his Shucky Ducky, who was a big comic on Def Jam, right? And Chris basically shit on him, like as and it's kind of like it was kind of and it was he was like because he was from SNL and he was from like sort of the white establishment. I've seen. I'm gonna say who uh, I've seen a black comedian introduce uh, JB Smooth or Smooth. Uh, uh, this way. Um, here come one, another one of these niggas from SNL with that corny SNL shit. Damn. <laughs> Wait, JB said yeah. that? No, no. No, somebody said that, that about JB. Damn. Yeah. For JB. But, but I'm not going to no, say no, no, no names, but was the person I'm, famous who was introducing absolutely. him? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm saying, why, what happened to all these no mm-hmm. names? <laughs> this is so fascinating. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so what did JB say? He did his act. He didn't say, <laughs> he, I mean. Also, JB's act wait, wait, is so let, fucking wait, not SNL. Wait, wait, It's worse. It was a broadcast show. That comment was made before. That comment was made during the off-air period. So it's right, like, it's like looking through the cars, but Between on mic for the audience yeah. to hear. They must. Have who's had. coming on? Oh, there's another. This motherfucker from SNL with this corny ass shit. Okay, that goes out. Then it's ladies and gentlemen, Jay yeah, Z's hilarious. <laughs> which is not you. So you don't see the other part. And I was like, wow. But, you know, so that was late in the game. But I think the comedy world is kind of, especially the black comedy world, I think people are way past that. Uh, You know, I don't think there's that same, I would assume there's not that same kind of animus. Because, you know, there was room for everybody. Right. I mean, Martin Lawrence, yeah, Martin Lawrence when he was young is a hungry comedian. And I think Chris Rock, if anything, is a testament that Chris Rock, he felt threatened at a time when Martin was just for that audience. They just, it's a guy from the ghetto who's, you know, short guy with short guy issues and about, you know, and it's like all those kind of things that the audience laps up emotionally. Chris Rock is intellectual. And intellect, an intellectual comedian is, is a little detached. So the audience is never going to as enjoy it as emotionally, as viscerally, oh, yeah. as viscerally. Well, I always say that's the difference and between I, black and white comedy. And, I, and that's, there, there's no, there's nothing really wrong with that. But what 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 Chris did that was so wonderful is Chris managed to make thoughtful comedy visceral. Right. You know, right. he has powerful ideas, totally. and that's very hard to pull off if you don't have an audience. You know, the 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 at that time, black audiences really like to have more stuff that was just closer, more emotional. And I don't mean it as a about you know what I mean is it's just visceral totally feeling and that's what you want anyway I mean Jerry Seinfeld I would he's actually put more feeling in what he does and over time that Jerry is all the pretenders to Jerry have never matched this guy is he walks on a stage and you just start smiling it's like I love him well there's this yeah there's this comedian you know Brad Williams Mm -hmm. he's a a little person Mm -hmm. and he his act it's to me, essentially unfollowable because not only is he a comedian that is functioning as a comedian very well, getting laughs, people are also celebrating the fact that they're in this performance with this small person. Like, there's simultaneously, like, regular response and ecstasy at being able to be in this And also, he fucks the stool. He does (laughs) fuck the stool, and he does it well, but he fucks the stool like nobody else. I mean, I... Well, you know what? I, I got to do this digression. You remember Charlie uh, Barnett? Charlie Barnett. Yep. Charlie Millen, Barnett. Millen. Yeah. Charlie Barnett uh, was a guy in New York. I loved. I just loved knowing him. Uh, and you know, I'm sure somebody's told a story about how he was supposed to do SNL, and Eddie Murphy ended up 
doing Charlie's Got thing. booked on SNL. Couldn't read. Could not read. Wow. Got replaced by Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And 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 other tragedies. During he's been in movies, I think, DC yeah, Cab, DC a few Cab other things. Bunches, yeah. Uh, at one point, I knew Island Pictures were so in love with him, they gave him a three-picture deal. Yeah. They would always be down at the uh, the Strip and all these other places. I mean, the guy was beloved. Uh, that Chris Probably Blackwell best, or whatever who was uh, the guy that ran. Yeah, Mark Berg. But I think also Chris Blackwell. Chris Blackwell, at, yeah. Yeah, at, uh, yeah. And so, but his problem beyond just the – and he was a street comic, so he worked in the street. Probably but the he, best performer I've ever seen. He, yeah. He, You've seen him perform. I knew – I, like, yes. knew – we wrote a screenplay together. You mean he a dude used from to the do streets shows. or literally he would perform? He, he would perform he in would, Washington Square not, Park. You see where I said where you go – you go to uh, – to the Laugh Factory, he wouldn't be there. <laughs> He'd be outside on the street. Wow. And there'd be a huge crowd around, and there'd be some a basket or something, and money would go into it, and he would do his act. And he was so good that the industry took note of the guy in they the street. They saw a guy in yeah. Washington Square Park, That's a television amazing. show, and went, we want to hire him for SNL. Yeah, he was on Miami Vice. He was on a bunch of shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, and then he died from AIDS. From AIDS, yeah. And uh, blah, blah, blah. In, in, but also, you know, it was just AIDS. Blah, blah, blah. He had might have even to do tried it. to kill himself. I don't know. And I, and I could be wrong, but, you know, if there's somebody who's listening, they may know or whatever. But Charlie, I don't think he tried to kill himself. Well, he did, but he had issues with his hands, some other stuff. Oh, uh, right. But he was a beautiful guy. Okay, so so here's a guy. I've told a story before about stage dynamics. Yeah, you work, you work on trying to get a great set, your lines, your jokes, what you say. He did all old jokes. But Charlie's stage dynamics were so impeccable that the guy just owned an audience like nobody I've ever seen. So one time at the uh, comic strip, there's you know he occasionally would come on stage in a club. He would sometimes come out of the cold. So Charlie's on at the the strip. He's killing, doing all these you know I'm a black guy, you know, a person. I run and white women run for me. All this corn, yeah. you know, all no, nothing good. There's no great joke. He's killing. The place is packed. He gets the five-minute mark. You know, they flash five minutes. He goes, five minutes? Okay, he acknowledges it. He doesn't have a mic to begin with. He pushes the mic stand and mic Yeah, away. he would he's also yelling. go into the crowd and yeah. stuff. So he's on stage. He turns around. But, well, first of all, he starts telling jokes. Just one joke after the other. Pow, laugh, pow, laugh, pow, laugh, pow. Audience is laughing, laughing, laughing. He turns around backwards so he's not facing the audience. He starts walking off the stage backwards. Pow, laugh, joke, laugh, punchline. Oh, my God. Pow, pow, audience screaming. Walks off. It's the five-minute mark. Laughs, joke, turns, walks out of the, 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 the performance room. I said, that's fucking awesome. No great joke, but what a fucking great understanding of st- I got the audience in the palm of my hand. That's what I mean about getting under the piano. Right. The feeling of, I know the time. I know the joke. I'm so relaxed. It was beautiful. And when he was sick, he performed in the village at like the village The gate. Boston Comedy Club, yeah. Well, he performed at the village gate one time. And he would do a thing where he killed, same thing, killed, finished, ended his set, and then he started talking about what was going on in his life you know and he would do a poem about being sick and all this and I saw a crowd of all white tourists in the village bawling after they had been screaming laughing bawling in tears I saw old white conservatives go up on the stage and press $50 in the man's hand that's how moved they were and I said 
this is crazy. Yeah. This guy's ability to reach into you and pull your heart out after he told all these corny, ridiculous jokes yeah. was so amazing. And that's when I say that that power of the emotional impact versus just the intellectual in comedy. You know, the, um, those guys. That's the shit I would say. They, this, they, it's they, not radio. Right. When people, it's like uh, Donnell, Donnell Rollins says like, Son, you got writer face. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, yeah, you can't fucking, it has to be like more visceral. It can't just be like thinky and. But, but, but the thing about rock, and I say this about uh, Jerry and, 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 and somebody like Cosby and different people, there's the ability to have that impact almost with words, you know, without having to jump around, you know, like Martin's got to, you know, when, when yeah. Martin was on, Martin had to use the whole stage and I would do that, you know, physicality. But when you can do that and get that same kind of, you know, the impact and that, and that's harder. So, you know, when I think back to that time with Chris and Martin, uh, I just feel like, um, as you get older, I go, yeah, it, it's just instructive you, in a way. What's sad is that think about that show. It's Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence. Somebody saw that show. You know, the story is all Martin did 40 minutes and it was hard for Chris to follow. But I would have loved to have seen it now, like go back with the knowledge of what I know now and just watch it. I, it would be fascinating because I'm sure Chris probably did some great stuff. Uh, yeah, it's not like he was, I'm sure he like didn't do as well. As, I don't think he like ate shit. Um, maybe he did, but I don't. The way he tells it, it just seemed like it well, was hard. He was probably the the headliner on the yeah. show. You know, and we know that era. You know, a lot of comedians love to tank other people who. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure a young hungry Martin would. Yeah, was on the more. side of the stage and, grinning. And, and Martin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and just so you know, just I mean, Martin years later, you know, he had you know different issues and stuff, and Chris asked him to be on Chris's show. Now, first of all, Chris is like, I want him on. And Martin was like, I want to do it. And, you know, I mean, and then years later, Martin, you know, they do a, uh, they do a movie together. Yes. That, that stuff is like, it's fun. It's just development stuff. It's just stuff that happened along the way. But, um, and it's funny because they both kind of represent that thing, that Def Jam comedian. And they both, they represent, and Chris, the sort of intellectual comedian, and they both transcend it. And it's, you know. Right, for sure. And it's great to have Can you tell us world. about how Pootie Tang came about? So I'm a, so all of that to say, so I performed. <laughs> That's a the longest digression in the history of Louis C.K., a writer on Chris's show, we would, you know, it was always like, you write, so you perform. You know, we everybody on the show could perform. Chuck was a stand-up. Louis right. obviously was a stand-up. So many of the writers, these Conan writers, also could go on. And me and Ali had performed. So so you write something, and it's like you pick somebody from the, the, the writer's room to perform in it. And Louis wrote this sketch. He walks into my office. He says, um, read that. Tell me what you think. I read it. I go, oh, I get it. It's the kind of thing I like in terms of it's absurd. You know, I got to get this. Yeah, you play this straight. Well, that was the other thing that Chris always says about the show is it was the the first black absurdist show on TV. That because he appreciated, he embraced it, right. which is, which what is was great. Rock the show? rock show. And it was the first black. It was the first dry humor Right, for we, black as, people. As we drive up across the street, there's a huge billboard of the Eric Andre show, 
uh, which I love, a past guest, and that yeah. is like I think one of his. Uh, it's an amazing show, and also I think Brent had, was talking to him about like it's, it's true absurdity. He, but it's he's black my com- favorite but it's black. Comedy. He's my favorite current comedian. That that show I endorse it to the nth degree. I love that. what yeah. he does. Is the you know is the spirit of what we try to do? Yeah, with well, this group. And and by the way, I just get just a shout out Richard Pryor's show. In the, uh, his five or six episode Richard Pryor show had elements. Of yeah, absolutely. Oh, Agreed. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, Agreed. Just to bring it full circle, I just saw Eric on Conan, and they said, "Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Andre, the curtains part, spotlight, no Eric." Everybody's looking around, and what Eric popped up from underneath the couch at Conan. So <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did your bit. <laughs> he did Alex Cole's. Yeah. Bit, so hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Louis, so you're like, all right. So you just play it straight. It's yeah, like, yeah. So you play. It, I, I said, yeah, you played it straight. Yeah, that's the, you play it straight. Like it's not fun. You know, you play. You know, in the, the whole thing. You play it straight. Play absurd straight. Play straight absurd. Whatever. Right. I said, Chris will never go for this. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. And so, would you play it? I said, yeah, but Chris will never go for it. And Chris went for it. And then you know there was no real uh, with reservation to do it. I mean, we would rehearse it and do a rehearsal show, and I would do it, and then it wouldn't get in the show. Uh, and HBO was just like adamant against it, like do not ever put that in the show. And there was one show where for some reason something fell out, and they were like, "We're going to do it." And I'm like, "Really? Yeah." So we did it, and uh, it was that thing where Chris it, it starts off. And it's like, hmm, 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 little laughs, little trickle, trickle, trickle. Yeah, I, re- I feel like I saw the first time. Yeah, and it, then it just explodes, and it's like, okay, we'll never do that again. But that it explodes funny. when he says, like, what? Yeah, yeah, and and, and yeah, he says, like, what? <laughs> and then like I'm, he goes, like, Sabatow. Right. <laughs> Sabatamate. Oh, and like, Chris, Chris yeah, is interviewing yeah. him, and right. then, and he's speaking gibberish. Right. And then, and then, and Chris is going along with the gibberish. And at some point, Chris like catches him on gibberish. Like, right. wait, what? There, there's something like, that like did the wrong. gibberish. The right. gibberish right. stops right. making like, sense. Why, why is he suddenly logical about what's yeah, going exactly. on? And now he's illogical again. Okay, yeah, great. yeah, yeah. And it was like we were done with it because Chris had a rule that he sort of been on SNL and they always redid a lot of stuff and he didn't want to yeah. do anything else. Cut to. We're going to a Prince concert. Chris invites me. So we're in a car going out to New Jersey to see Prince. On the radio on Hot 97, somebody says, and I want to give a shout out to my man, Pootie Tang. We both go, what? What was that? What Was that the, what? Did you hear that? Right? Then HBO's got, you know, whatever. I don't, it wasn't, e- maybe it was emails. I don't know. Whatever they got at the time. Like, hey, we love that thing. We love that thing. Can we see more of that? So they walk into a room and say, "Can you, Louis? Can you do another one of those?" <laughs> and we eventually did more. And it, it was the—I mean, other things got repeated on the show in some form, but that thing in particular, and it just took off. And it was one of those things when you—so you go back and say, "Well, you know, are you uncomfortable?" And in the end, it was like I returned for a minute to an, a world that I'd been in right. before as a performer. But I was at that point much more comfortable being a writer exclusively and not being in front of the camera but you were still a performer so you put the thong on they said action I and you the, said and i did all that stuff and can you give us one more eye on my <laughs> what was that what can you talk I about go. i know can i just i give five minutes please i don't have five minutes okay but i gotta split I gotta yeah, yeah all right i'll uh let me just wrap it up with them okay all right nice to meet you oh hey <laughs> pleasure man. fantastic right. I, you know um, goodbye everyone <laughs>
Uh, all right, so and I'm what, the new host. You're so early, by the way. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, you've got replaced, Mojo. Um, so what was the deal with the movie? Uh, I mean, you know, it's a movie. It was made. You know, what, but it was wasn't like production of nightmare. Well, I mean, what can I say about it? We we actually had two movies going at once. Ali, myself, Chris, Louis C.K. had written Down to Earth, which was a remake of Heaven Can Wait. Right. So we'd already written that. That was already in production. They loved Chris's show so much and Chris so much that they said, "Hey." You got another one, and Chris said, let's do Pootie Tang, and they went, they read the script. Think about Paramount Pictures yeah. reading that script and going, sure, we'll bankroll this. Yeah. All that matters is that, Chris, you be Pootie Tang. And he said, no, have you seen the show? I'm not the, it's that guy. Yeah. And they even, they, they said yes to that. <laughs> so that's, you but can it was imagine, small that's, budget though, right? that's the world that we were in at that period right. of time. And then what happens is a twin track, so we'll... When we you know we're ahead shooting one, while the other one is de- in development, and then Louis had to peel off and focus on that, and then eventually, one is being edited and the other one is being shot, and, and you know so. And what I always say about that time is, when they were happy with one, they were sad with the other one. So oh, we hate the dailies on one. Right. So we love the script for the other one. You know. Oh, oh all we right. Hate the oh the testing was awful on this one, but oh the shoot was great today on yeah. that one. So it was always it was like that t- twin thing that was going on for a while, and at some point they were in love with the prospects of Down to Earth and couldn't hated Pootie Tang, and you know, and you know, I mean, Louis, I'm sure in other places has elaborated on this, but it was just very hard. It was hard for me because occasionally I'd have to shoot a scene and I'd just see you know the, an incredible amount of tension, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm starring in a movie and I'm not like really a star. Right. So, you know, I kind of want this to work. And, you know, what is this? Right. What's going on here? You know, and I I would say that maybe at that point I thought if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to from this point on, if it works, I'll write and perhaps perform and write and stuff. And that would kind of be like be a cool thing to do. Didn't work out, which is fine. And I just focused totally on being a writer from that point forward. But. There was a little bit of that at the time, and a lot of the tension. I mean, what was know, the? T- it was I've like, gone on about this in, in different places. You have, I, yeah, I, I haven't read it. Yeah, or I've, seen it. I mean, like, you know, I've, there, there was been, like there been screenings of you know recently of Pootie Tang, and I've gone in and, and talked about it. And I mean, again, the, the, I guess the story I always tell is during the shoot, everybody felt very good about the uh, the tension with the studio aside. There was a feeling that this thing was going to be great, and partially because it had worked on TV. So it right. was sort of like, you know, we're, we're, we're mining the same vein here. Right. So we shouldn't have too much of a problem. And it felt like it, it worked as a story for the movie. You know, later on, I mean, it's a delicate thing. It's a, it's a Louis C.K. It's out of that man's brain. It's, you know. I would say Pootie Tang, to me, was like the, the funniest fourth grader in the world made a movie. Yeah, well, the it's movie... It's like this weird, psychedelic... Yeah, the movie... Yeah, I mean... We, child made a movie. We love... I mean, we, obviously, we're, we're film. We, we like film. We can talk yeah. about the, 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 that movie in the context of a film. Right. And whether it succeeds or not. And I'm sure, you know, you can go back and forth on a lot of different things. But it's, it's almost like a cultural piece that is sort of past that kind of critique. 
And I, I mean, it's not that you can't, you can't, if you don't know the thing and you don't care about it and you see it as a movie and you're just a movie fan, you might go, what the Yeah, hell no, this? I remember what a girl this? I was dating at the time was like, I went and saw Pootie Tang. It was horrible. And I was like, right. they her, her and her friend who didn't right. know what it was. And it's like, you kind of walk if in you, to see a movie. Yeah, you, you thought really, you were just going to see a movie? Right. And it's not really like you're not prepared for it. But but there's different levels of how this movie exists and how it exists in people's minds. And, yeah. And, and so, A, there's it's a movie. Did it function and work as a movie that would be released by Paramount Pictures. And for a lot of people, the answer is no. It's crazy. It's, it's right. what you said. It's like a fourth grader's crazy Yeah, crazy, of a yeah. Movie. The second thing is, is that movie the movie that Louis would have done? That's a thing that's often been talked about, like his different cuts and all that. You know, people have different, he has a view, people have different views. Could he have done something? Was, was there a vision that wasn't executed or was it distorted? That's debatable because and know, what was the thing? He did a cut, it's. and then they were like, "This is we don't like this." Yeah, I mean, like oh, you know, all directors, you know, he did a cut, and they didn't like it, you know. But the the difference is when they didn't like his cut, there was a lot of pressure put on him to change it, and I, you know, and he's a sort of a you know, uh, uh, basically a first time director at a major studio, right? Who and Louis is a very singular person with yeah. a very specific vision, so he might have been like. I really want to protect this vision because he's Louis. Right. And and they were like, hey, you know, you should be happy that we gave you, you know, the chance to do this movie, do the movie the way, you know, we normally do business in the movie world. Right. So I don't think anybody began operating from a crazy position, but you just have people who, you know, just like the government and everything else, when people don't want to give in. And, and, and by the way, when there's a side that has all the power and you kind of don't recognize it, it, it can get pretty brutal. Uh, all that, all that said, who knows? I mean, let's say Louis had a cut that might have been a more coherent film from the standpoint of people who walk in and have no idea about the movie and see it and go, "That was a great experience." Because the third tier is you kind of have to go into that movie with a little bit of understanding of what it is you're about to see. Right, you have to, to know to of what about black exploitation movies, or and you have fucking, to know about the character from the show, or the char- yeah, or you know, or in this era, you might just be a fan of Louis, whatever. But right, you have to have some kind of conditioning to to see the movie. So that was a problem that we tried to solve. The movie existed without the thing that happened that I talked about before. The first time with Chris Rock. Chris Rock introduces me on the show. We have an interview. The interview is the sketch. But it's also Chris going, hello, everybody. This guy sitting here yes. who's weird is a great guy. Right. And even though it's comical, the audience really does go, that's a transference. We like Chris, therefore. And then you guys you ended like- up having Costas host the movie, well, right? What I'm getting to is you go, so, so we go, well, what's missing from this movie? We need Chris to tell the audience who's never seen the character right. on the show, he's a cool guy. And Chris was in the movie for three characters, and he said, I don't think I should do that. I should right. be the guy doing it. I used to uh, write for Bob Costas' show on the record. I knew Bob. He was cool. He loved Chris's show. He seemed like the perfect guy. You're, cause he's, uh, that's so – I totally forgot you wrote for Costas' show because yeah. I remember seeing your name yeah. in the credits for Costas' show, and I was yeah, like, I, I why like, was he – I ended up in the sports world for a while, too. Right. Sports. So uh, he he loved the show. He was a HBO – on the record was HBO. We were shooting that show in New York. We brought. He was like, I can't wait to do it. 
Yeah. I love that character. I love Pootie Tang. I love the show. I'm in. And we just thought, it can't be funnier. Bob Costas interviewing Pootie Tang. Right. And somebody came with the joke. It might have been Wanda. It might have been Louie. It could have been me of, it's, the whole interview is, he's interviewing me, and let's see a clip from the movie Pootie, you know, signed the right. video on the runny kind. And then you see the whole movie. <laughs> and you come back, and Costas goes... <laughs> That was the clip. The clip is the movie. That's that kind of, you know, you laugh. See, that's a funny, absurdist joke. And it was fun. And we actually did that. I was laughing movie. at first about, because I forgot the name of the movie. The name of the movie is Sign Your Pity on, on the, the Running Gun. There you go. Louis. Yeah. It's funny. It's, it, yes. When you don't have all of the baggage and you, you approach it, it's actually funny. Yeah, but you have to know about black exploitation to think. You have to know about black exploitation, and you have to know about like pure childlike imagination. What I think is that there was a guy Elvis Mitchell who was a writer for the New York Times, and he wrote. And here's the full story. So we shoot the movie. We add Costas. There's the movie. Was JB in the movie the whole time? He was always in the movie. So we always, but there was never narration, and there was an there was an insistence on narration. From Paramount. Uh, yeah, many many people felt it would be hard to follow. I believe you could have, here's my opinion. I believe Louis could have cut a version of the movie that did not rely on or even use narration that would have made sense and would have been a more cohesive movie. Would it have improved how it did? Who knows? Right. Perhaps not. And perhaps it would still be culty in the right. same way. And But what I think it might feel better, you know, overall as a film Um but that said, what happened was the movie went out. Um, it went on. I think it was on the same day as AI. I'm pretty sure I remember. Yeah, that I it, believe you're it, right. It aired. So we're up against you know AI, Steven Spielberg. Right. You know, and it didn't do great. I mean, I knew it was. I had a feeling it wasn't going to do great when they said, "Hey, we got this great marketing campaign. What? We're going to put flyers in people's." Oh, that was the best. That was that happened on Half Baked where and they I, were like. <laughs> Ago. I told you that. Yeah, no, they got, they got, they remember something. The street teams uh, there was a joke like between me and Dave. The yeah, world. there was a joke between me and Dave where it's like, hey, good news, we we have a million posters. The bad news is they're five by three. They're five <laughs> inches by three. It's like they were fucking postcards that you just put at the they front put of a restaurant. Yeah, of a car. Yeah, I was like, you. I said, oh, please, like Bob's in the movie. Can we do something in front of his show? Or right. And it was like, no, you know, we know what we're doing. And I just was like, okay. I'm, we know, you know what we're doing. We're burying your movie. Yeah. And it didn't do, you know, so New York, I mean, A, it, it, I know, I don't really ever know what, I never went to see that movie ever until recently, like in the last. Pootie? Pootie time. I never saw it until like maybe the last two years. You saw it, you saw cuts of it. I saw a cut when I had to right. go in a loop or something. Right. Oh, but you never saw it like a full, here it is. No, I, I, I never went to see that movie oh. until about two years ago. Why didn't you? Uh well it, it, it basically is this I uh so I had to come to grips with is this the, the same reason you wore a jacket all the time no for years? no, <laughs> no it, was, it was a coming to grips thing it, it was like hey I, you know I'm writer I'm you know it's it's out there whatever happens happens for me first of all I still have a little bit of very little very 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 a spoonful of celebrity from it yeah so I and I always had it from Chris's show from yeah Chris's show forward. If I'm, you know, if I'm, right I'm betting you get recognized, if not every day, five days a week. I would say, not not because I'm I don't I don't travel in circles. If I if I was in certain circles, probably a lot. Yeah. But but I tend to not be in certain circles. But I, 
Yeah, in a given week, you know, I've had people say, hey, can I take your picture? Right. Hey, are you that guy? People yeah. always nice. Yeah. And they've been that way since the show. Yeah. So it never, and it, and it, for a long time, it would, it would be weird people, like it would be hip-hop people yeah. and FedEx drivers. Yep. And it was like a bus drivers and cable would, would guys. stop and, and yeah. say, hey, man, I'll say... Yeah. So, so these guys must have cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was and, and and then after the show, it was you know it was a lot of hip hop guys and it was a lot of the hipster you know and a lot of the the early young acting crowd. Right. That are you know now kind of you know the elite group of people in in, in Hollywood right now. I would that would run into these people. And yeah. Say, hey, I'm this actor, but I love that movie. Yeah. So so you the, all of that was good, but there was a real downside. There was a you know. You know, people. There were some people who viscerally hated the movie and told me so. Yeah, people are real good about that, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, you know, you know. One time, even like when my kids were around, you know, like somebody said something, you know. So, so there's always that, and that. But so I'm not a celebrity in the way that Dave and people. Yeah. So you know, I just and when I'm around them, I go, whoa, that's that's you know, I'm sort of happy to only have that tea, that yeah, tablespoon. Absolutely. Uh, so that's prob- That's one reason why I kind of you know. The movie is whatever it is. And I would say that the shorthand of this is that the original reception of it was bad. And it was sort of hard to deal with at the time. Because like Bob Costas, uh, uh, I guess is the best example of it. He calls me. So Elvis Mitchell does a review. The first review is, it's this black exploitation satire. I never thought it was. You know, right. you, you go there, a lot of people... I always thought that was too facile, too easy. It's like Louis drawing on a bunch of different things, but it's it's in it's not it's not a direct like no it's not it's not it's not black dynamite making fun of that no it's not black dynamite it's not it's just a weird sort it's of, a weird frequency it's snatched, what me and Chappelle used to call a frequency joke yeah. where it's just on a certain frequency and it's like just fucking that's, that's a great what term it is. for it. yeah and that's what it was it was that kind it was in a little little it was in a weird kind of space but it was a fun space to get into if you got into it. So after Elvis Mitchell, who gave it New York Times very nice review, every review after that was horrible, and everyone singled out Bob Costas. <laughs> what are you doing in uh, this movie? And then you How felt dare bad. You? Why? You felt like you dragged him into it. Well, he called me, Ugh. and he said, "He said, Lance, you know, friends of friends have asked me to do." Uh, favors for them and uh, and I've done it and I you know I've always you know really I like to do favors for friends and I was thinking on the phone hey Bob Costa said I'm his friend yeah I didn't know that that's cool <laughs> <laughs> and about a couple of sentences later you know but I gotta say I really feel bad about what happened with the movie and you know I'm not I'm not blaming or anything but I just feel like I don't think I'm gonna do that again and I, when he said it I was just like you know I don't I mean and I it doesn't it, I don't. What he was trying to do he was trying to communicate that he felt somehow he just felt bad the way the movie turned out, and it, it, you got to feel he's got kids. He felt bad to have been singled out, so he was trying to talk to me about it, and I got it. But it just made me feel like, ooh, three seconds ago I was his friend. <laughs> yeah, I feel so bad. And then I would see Bob every about year after that. I would run it, either worked for him, you know, one more time, or ran into him. And we go, yeah, that movie, man. I was watching it the other day with my kid, and yeah, whatever. You know, yeah, <laughs> a year goes by. You know, Lance, I was watching uh, Pootie Tang, and my son, he just he laughed so hard. You know, I was really, I was thinking it's not that bad. <laughs> Another year goes by, he Hilarious. calls me. 
that movie is so funny. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I've said this, and, and there's a point at which he just, you know, he revels in having been in the film. Yeah. And I go, that's pretty much my arc for the movie. Got it. That it went from, that because he symbolizes the same change over time where it was really, I heard a lot of negative, and all of a sudden, over time, people, it, it's almost always people saying how they like it, and cool people, yeah. and different people. And it's that thing where, you know, and, and it's nothing against him, it's just, he needed distance from it. I mean, it's a painful thing to be No, no, but out. it's also, it. It's it, people. They need validation. They. It's like he. Bob Costas doesn't know I enough about Bob, comedy to be I, like, I, I, I "Fuck you, that shit is funny." He yeah, can't. He. He just goes, "It's not us, funny." Okay. But I, I tell a story not because it's not a thing about Bob. It's just it's an interesting yeah, no, story. Exactly. Yeah. I love Bob, and it's an yeah. interesting thing, and I have the greatest respect for him. What What I mean about it is just the emotional impact of being in that kind of stuff, and it really is. It really That's is. The thing, of, uh, he's the, in. A, he did a favor. He's in. He's in yeah. the wraparound of a movie. Yeah. And they make him. The you know the target, and I was even I always felt bad like why why, the, why don't even pick on him why are you messing with him so yeah, yeah it bugged him. John and Stewart he, feels that way about Half Baked by the way. John Stewart's in Half Baked and he, cause, and there was a point where he it was before the Daily Show was really popular, and he was known from Half Baked and he fucking hated it. Yeah, and and uh, and it's kind of like I don't know what to tell you like I feel bad. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm sorry, but <laughs> right, like right. I don't know, man. Like I, you did a thing, and <laughs> I appreciate it, but like it's a risk. But there is the thing that that you were getting at, which is like a failure, a perceived failure of any kind, is fucking painful. And it's it is like you know when the cultural sort of winds are blowing against you, and it's right. kind of like, ugh. Like that shit hurts, and people saying shit, right, people right. feeling like they gotta like motherfucker. I used to do a joke where people go like, "Man, you f- that fucked up my night," and I go, "Really? Well, it fucked up my life." <laughs> <laughs> like I saw that Jeremy Piven movie you did, man. That fucked up my that fucked my whole night up, and it's like, well, fucked my career up. Yeah, so thank and you. you. And, and you spent a lot of time. Where, I mean, people, you know. And, and by the way, it's fair game. We, you know. Yeah, I, yeah, comedians. I didn't. I wasn't blaming. We, I wasn't complaining when people love Chappelle. Yeah, we, we trade on that. We, yeah. we make fun of people. We make fun of. Movies. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're all fair game. It was never not. Yeah. I, yeah, I like to bring it up because it just it demonstrates elements in shows yeah. that are interesting. Yes. Uh, but the other thing is like half baked too. There are people who go. That was a great. I love that thing. Yeah, and you and and but when know, it came out over a longer period of time, what happens is the people who like or love something are all that's remaining. You know, right. I don't run into people who. I never run into people who say, "Oh, I don't like that movie anymore." Like, I mean, there was right. a period, yeah. close enough to it that it was you know neck and half neck. and half. It was like, yeah, the people yeah. who have to vocalize, I love it, and the people I have to vocalize that that didn't love it, right? Uh, and and. What's left is just you know. It's, I mean, so you. I'm, I've gone to. It's ten years later. The Onion did a. Uh, they they screened the movie in New York. Yeah. And I you know so I did like this with the Onion and they screened the movie. You know, a bunch of pooty fans come in and the people. You know, a few people dressed like it. I once Slash. had a Halloween party and a guy showed up at my house dressed like Pootie Time, <laughs> and my wife was like. He can't come in. I said, "You're right." <laughs> That's <laughs> he hilarious. Because like, he, th- 
it was so funny. He's he's like, yo, and he came in. He's like, Sad, I tell you, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, man, you don't know how he feels. <laughs> it's more, you, you it's, more, it's really you mixed. A, you got a cat, you can yeah. come out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, was, yeah, it's like, know. it's it is it is like a charge thing where it's like, it's it's. It instantly, I could say it, and it's like a bit of a shock to you. I'm sure it's still a bit of a shock. You assume that it's positive when I bring it up, but you don't know for sure. Yeah, it it, it is pretty much all positive now. And I mean, yeah. even like uh, um, Tosh, you yeah. know, I think, uh, asked me to do a, a thing as Pootie Tang on the show. Yeah. Uh, and the only reason I didn't, and, and usually I haven't, A, you know, again, I'm still not really like, you know this perform- i mean i'm you know pretty much writer writer now right. i mean i might do a thing here and there uh so i kind of said no I, and, but the other thing is the no really wasn't me saying no it was more like this is one of these movies where it's paramount and mtv and louis ck and blah 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 and i never was really clear on you know am i even allowed to go on something <laughs> yeah. you know am i even allowed to say sad yeah. hey <laughs> you know <laughs> legally you know, and, you know, yeah and chris was like man, man go do that thing yeah you know, and i go yeah but you know i've had lawyers go don't do that it's <laughs> hilarious <laughs> Well, you probably would have gotten. Well, it's like Viacom and Comedy Central and MTV. It's all it's all same same team allegedly. Yeah, well, and I mean, yeah, and it was an MTV thing. But but I don't know that MTV. I've I've had people on occasion. I've had there was a maybe a thing one time with MTV saying they wanted to do like an animated thing and right. I don't know. There there's so many you know because I don't know. There's Louie and yeah, there's Caramel, layers. Yeah, and, and Chris layers. and you and yeah. And you never know. You know, you never know what Louie is about that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, you never. Where know. is Louie about it? Does he I like have it? No idea. I I only know from interviews and things I've read, and I know for me, it's primarily this. It was is when I was doing it. It was fun when people liked it. It was really fun. It had a. Uh, there's a lot of stuff about it that I, you know, I carry away from it that's positive. You know, I got kids and my son loves superheroes and I haven't let him see the movie yet because he's too little. But he's like, Dad, are you so are you a hero in the movie? I'm like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know, you, you beat people and you fight. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I get a little thrill out of it. I mean, it's kind of fun. Yeah. You, you know, your yeah. son thinks you're, you're, you're a hero. Yeah, it's movie. awesome. Not just in a movie, you're a hero. Yeah. So that's a cool thing. Louis, I think his experience with it is just very sour. Yeah, the guy's this creative thing, and he put a, wrote the script and worked and shot. You know what it takes. Yeah, to, you know, do a movie, and it, there's a certain amount of babe. That's his baby. Yeah, and I think the final product he absolutely doesn't feel any relation to. He doesn't. You know, he doesn't. That's he distances himself from right. that thing. It doesn't represent him. And you and we're talking about Louis C.K. Yeah, who everybody in the industry feels like this is a guy who's you know paved a way right and gone a new route you know so you're talking about oh he's this pioneer he's this you know right well if he's that kind of a guy imagine that yeah how he feels about something that was he got yeah checked right? yeah so I, I i imagine for him the thing is he doesn't have to but the difference is too he doesn't look like pootie tang so, he doesn't so he can literally this he can literally yeah. not think about it yeah you know yeah whereas yeah people ne- probably never bring i'm sure they bring it up rarely once a month so. right right well, whereas with me and they know, think it's po- i brought it up to him thinking it was positive he didn't <laughs> like he didn't like 
Oh, bridal. Kind yeah, of like I was like, dude, that shit was really funny. And he was like, eh, he just sort of like shrugged it off. Right, right. But it wasn't like negative or positive. Yeah, I think he's like, hey, man, I got this. Where I am today is I got this thing. I got yeah. this show. I'm doing this stand up. Yeah. I'm here. This is where I am. So yeah. even if it was a great thing, I, I would imagine Louis would, would be like, that's. Yeah, like it's some like, other. If it was the greatest yeah. thing in the world, Louis's probably like, I'd rather be here. Yeah, be my. Se- I'd rather be in it, write it, direct it, control it. Yeah. Right. Or I just want to be where today is. Yeah. I don't want to be in the past. Yes. So I think there's an element of that. Um. And what do you? You said you're writing on. There's a. Sh- what are you doing right now? I'm doing. I'm working on uh the black version, which is you know. The, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a yeah, groundlings thing. Yeah, right? yeah, groundless thing. It's fantastic. And uh, yeah, we're working on doing a movie. So. Who's in the black version? It's uh, good people, right? Yeah, they, uh, Jordan Black, uh, this uh, Cedric Hard, Hard yeah, Yarborough, yeah, yeah. yeah Yarborough, yeah, Cedric, yeah. wonderful. Uh, and and um, this guy Gary, I, I got his. Um, do you know Gary that was on Boston Legal? Uh, Gary Anthony. Gary Anthony Williams. Man, Chappelle used to rave about that Let guy. Let me tell you something. He's like, "Yo, that motherfucker Let me tell you something. is unbelievably the black funny. version guys are fantastic." Well, Key and Peele came from that show. Yeah, uh, that mean you know they're great. Yeah, Key and Peele are great, right? In that, so there was a show. So at one point, the show was Key, Key and Peele, Jordan, Cedric, Yarbrough, Yarbrough, uh, yeah. bro, and uh, Gary and Phil Lamar. Uh-huh. Who was in? It was on Mad TV. Mad TV. Uh, and then there's this um, there's this there's this woman who's in the show too who's really great. Um, and I, I'm, I feel bad because I'm not saying her name. Dan- Danielle. Yeah. And so they're on. They're f- they're crazy how good they are. Like they're crazy good vets. Right. Gary. So if you like Key and Peele, fantastic. Cedric, wonderful. Gary's the greatest improviser. Cru- this guy is. He plays Uncle Ruckus on uh, on on Boondocks. Yeah, which, he does. He yeah, does the but Boondocks. no, like Dave told me, like that he was in uh, uh, Undercover Brother, and Chappelle yeah. was like, "We got to find a sketch for that dude or something because that motherfucker he's, is like he's, it's bananas." Like, what I love about those guys is they're all they've been around and in movies and bridesmaids yeah. and this and that, and you see them around. Collectively, they're powerful, and they're like so. They're known commodities who you really don't know how good they are. Right. Whereas they Key and Peele, I think, because they were maybe the lesser known guys, right. and they probably had something going on anyway. So you pull them out. They weren't. The, they they're they were good like in good, world, yeah, but they but weren't like, the, even they, the best. Yeah. Like, to, it's nuts. So the, you know, I love the and then I, you mentioned Eric Andre, and I I think on the other end of somebody who I go young guy who's just great so yeah but uh yeah so i'm working with these guys great all right good well i hope uh i hope you enjoyed this yeah I, chris's, this is interesting chris's well. thing oh uh, yeah chris's thing which is whatever <laughs> fuck, cool, fuck, fuck chris no, I'm just <laughs> all right peace man thank right, you cool. Yeah.
Yeezy season approaching. Fuck whatever y'all been hearing. Fuck what, fuck whatever y'all been wearing. A monster about to come alive again. Soon as I pull up in park the bins, we get this bitch shaking like Parkinson's. Take my number and lock it in. Indian hair, no moccasins. There's too many hoes in this house of sin. Real nigga back in the house again. Black Tim's all on your couch again. Black dick all on your spouse again. And I know she like chocolate men. She got more niggas off than Cochrane, huh? On sight. On sight. How much do I not give a fuck? Let me show you right now for you give it up. How much do I not give a fuck? Let me show you right now for you give it up. Baby girl try and get a nut, and a girl try and give it up, chop them both down, don't judge them Joe Brown, one last announcement, no sports ball, let's keep it bouncing, everybody wanna live at the top of the mountain, took her to the blue try sip the fountain, that's when David Gutman kicked the out, but I got her back in and put my dick in her mouth, on sight, on sight, Right now, I need right now. 